0: resource for daily living. My name is Ariel, and I'll be your host for this series, and uh, this is episode three. Alright, I am not sure if you'll be able to pick up on this, but I am taking my little girl for a walk. And so you may hear cicadas, traffic, people walking by. Uh, this is as live uh, in the real world as we're going to get. Daddy walking, his little girl while she is sleeping. And Daddy's getting some exercise, right? We've got to take care of that cholesterol. Anyways, uh, I've been thinking of all the things we've talked about so far in regards to Jesus and His teachings in regards to the eight paths to happiness. And the first step we've been at is... Um, Found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, which says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So far, we've discovered that when Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, He's thinking about every human being, you and I included. So He's not looking at one segment and looking at them saying, Oh yeah, you guys poor in spirit. He's actually looking at every human being in the eye and saying, You want to be happy? Acknowledge that there's a lack inside your heart. Acknowledge that there's something missing in your life. And that something is not a thing. It's a someone. It's me. And that's the, the, the heart hunger that humanity has. And how do we know that? How does Jesus um, uh, arrive at that conclusion or point to that direction, rather? is because He says, blessed are the poor spirit, but He doesn't stop there. He doesn't just want us to be belittling ourselves and saying, Oh, I'm so bad. Oh, I'm not a good person. That's not Jesus' point in saying blessed are the poor in spirit because he doesn't stop there. He says blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. And so we spend quite a bit of time talking about this kingdom. In uh, Matthew six thirty-three, we read Jesus elaborating a bit more on this kingdom and the priority he needs to take in our lives. He says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. And this kingdom of God has a quality, an essence, and it's called righteousness. So the verse says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, the righteousness that comes from God. So I don't know if you remember, but just in case, what I'm going to remind you, that righteousness in the Greek simply means justice, and blessed means happy. So happy are those that acknowledge their spiritual poverty because theirs belong or they're in, this kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is a kingdom of justice. So, what does all that mean, <laughs> right? Well, if, if there's a need for justice, when, whenever the, the judicial departments or branches come into action, it's because a crime has been committed and someone is bringing the accused to court. We spend... The last part of our last episode, episode 2, talking about an individual, a spiritual being who brings humanity to court. He brings uh, accusations upon human beings. And uh, we spoke about this individual from Revelation chapter 12, in which it, we read how the accuser of our brother, our brothers who accuses them day and night before our God, he has been cast out. Revelation tells us, uh, 12 tells us how God kicked him out, how God cast him out, how God caused him to stop with these accusations. And it was when He says, for now, the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. There's the mentioning of the kingdom and there's the mentioning of Christ. Christ did something in regards to this kingdom of justice in which God is judge. God is the... The ultimate norm for what is ethical and moral, what is good, what is beautiful, what is love. God stands for all those things. So he is a a judge that could rightly look at beings, uh, humans, and discern with clarity, without any chance of being wrong. Someone being ethical and moral and someone being spiritually poor. So, in the Bible, there's many, many places that it mentions that God is judge. God is a righteous judge. God is a judge that judges uh, with a correct judgment. He, he's not, he cannot be bribed or deceived or tricked or pressured as some of the judges on earth can, can have that experience. So, we have now pieces to put together. Um, we've learned that is Satan... Uh, the adversary that's what the word means in Greek devil and, and Satan means the enemy he is accusing us before God and what does that mean that he's accusing us So, what is he accusing us of our spiritual poverty so in that sense the accusations of the adversary are correct he's not making stuff up he knows very well what you and I have done because to a great degree he has been tempting us he has been enticing us, deceiving us into betraying our conscience, violating our conscience, betraying the values and priorities we we outwardly uh, express, that these are the things we believe, these are the things we value. As a country, right, we say that we believe in liberty for all, freedom for all. But in our practice, we reveal that we don't. Racism is still very much alive in our country. The news media and the coverage clearly reveal that we're not a United Nations, as our name, the United States of America. We are the divided states when it comes to race, social class, and a whole bunch of other things. So, in that same sense, we would like to be united. I'm a U.S. citizen. I would love to see our country focused in unity and eradicating racism and bigotry from our minds, but that will not happen through legislation. It It can only happen when a human being transitions into the kingdom of God. I don't wanna get ahead of myself. So back to this accuser, what does that look like? Why is he accusing? Why is he so passionate about getting us in trouble? I'm gonna talk about that in just a little bit, but first, a small thought to get us on the right foot in thinking about God and what he can do for us through his grace. Sorry about that transition. I'm still learning how to fidget with uh, <laughs> these uh, contraptions. But I wanted to share with you a thought, a verse that we read yesterday, but we didn't really talk too much about it. It's uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. And this is what it says. If we confess our sins, He, meaning God, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is a precious verse that I want to read for you today so that you're encouraged that as you confess, as you recognize the spiritual poverty in your life to God, He will be faithful and joyful in forgiving, in clearing the record and cleansing us from all that defiles us, from all that makes us to be what we wish we were not. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All right. So we were talking about the enemy, the adversary accusing us. And Why is he so adamant in doing this? Why is he so passionate? Because the revelation says that he does this day and night, nonstop. I'm going to give you a little illustration, it's not, I think, something that, I think everybody can relate to this, because we've seen it, when a politician gets caught in some sort of corruption, and boom, it comes to light. Many of them react in this manner, as the news begin to highlight money, whatever the issue may have been, they begin to point at other politicians, at other individuals, and saying, hey, no, you want to see corruption? Look at them. Look at their corruption. They want to deflect. They want to point in another direction. <clears throat> Excuse me. They want to point in another direction for a reason. Um, the, the logic goes a little bit like this. All right. Uh, you caught me. But I want you to also see someone else that is just as guilty as I am. So if you're going to punish me, you're certainly going to have to punish them as well. So in, in the back of the mind, there is this strong desire... Not for justice, their accusations are not to seek for justice, their accusations are to seek condemnation and punishment for another person. So when the enemy is accusing us, he is not accusing us with any desire whatsoever of seeing God exhibit his righteous judgment, he wants us to be destroyed. So the the argument goes, okay, so I am a rebel and I have made my choices and Now I see the consequences, that my days are numbered. I have been cast out, and I know the destiny that awaits for me. So now that I know this, I also know that these other people have also messed up. They've also made their choice. The human race has also also turned their backs on you, God. So if you're going to destroy me, you're going to have to destroy them as well. That's the, the motivation behind his accusations. Not seeking for justice, but seeking to take down with him as many as he has deceived into betraying our loyalties towards God, compromising our conscience, compromising on our values. He, he, gets, he sticks his foot out, causes us to trip, and once we've fallen, he points to us and, sa- and looks at God and says, see, you need to destroy them because you're going to destroy me. But if you're going to let them them off the hook, then you, know you got to let me off the hook as well. So Satan felt he had cornered God. He knew God loved us. We were made in his image. He was convinced one or two things were going to happen. God would destroy him and destroy the human race. Or God would let the human race off the hook. And then he would, of course, have to let Satan off the hook. Kind of like a bailout, right? Well, neither of those two options happened. This is the mystery. The the. the, majesty of the gospel. God is not limited by the options we give Him. And that's the options that Satan, the adversary, had given God. Those two options. And God said, nope, they're not my options. I have a third option. And my third option is going to cast you out of heaven and allow me to save the human race, to those that decide to have faith in me. In in the gospel, we see a marvelous revelation of the wisdom of God in relating to the accusations of the adversary. God will be just, has been just in this sense. He sent His Son. He became human. John 1.1 says that the Word was with God and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word. And that's just another title that the Bible gives to Jesus, just like Lamb or uh, the Morning Star. Uh, these, these are all symbols pointing to Jesus, and the word is another one. And in John 1:14 it says that the Word became flesh. What a mystery that the gospel reveals? Not simply of how could that have happened, but why? Why would God uh, inflict upon himself this humiliating limitation of becoming a human being and living amongst? the very creatures that He made. And the Gospel of John, that first chapter, I've been reading it for my morning devotions, is heartbreaking. The the first chapter says that He came to His own, and His own did not understand Him, did not receive Him. Though He made the world, the world did not recognize Him. It's very heartbreaking, and yet God stayed. God, in the form of His Son Christ, stayed amongst humanity and lived our lives, but lived our lives differently under different principles. Jesus lived a life of righteousness, of justice that he he didn't commit a sin, though he was tempted and tried and pressured like no other human being ever could be. Jesus did not give in once. He says that in the Gospels that the, the enemy comes, the prince of this world comes, but he has nothing in me. He cannot accuse me of one single deviation from the morality the ethic the beauty of god's love i have been faithful i love my father with all my heart i trust him and i always do the things that please the father that's what those were Jesus' statements after living a perfect sinless life what the father does is he takes our sewage our our our, uh, immoral thinking our immoral behavior, our selfishness and our pride, and everything that stems from that, our exploitation, our using of people, and, and the, the sickening relationships that we have, and all the things that well makes makes for uh, prime contact from, for prime television. He takes all the things that bring us pain and death, all the things that because of the madness of sin, we think it's fun, but it actually destroys us, and we, we We at times recognize it. I think we do have those moments of uh, lucidation where the light bulb comes on and we realize, what am I doing to myself? But more importantly, why can't I stop? Well, God took all of that, all of your history, all of your shame, all of your regret, and placed it upon His Son and treated Jesus as He should have treated you and I. Satan said, I want justice. I demand justice from you. And God said, I will. And I will bestow my justice, my wrath, my condemnation, the the punishment for sin. I will pour it to the fullest upon my son on the cross. That's what caused the death of Christ. It wasn't the nails and it wasn't the bleeding. He was dead long before the nails could have had any effects upon his biology and physiology. Jesus died of a broken heart. His his cry in the cross was, My God, my God, why have you severed, ruptured, broken your relationship with me? You have cast me out. I am shut out from your presence forever. I am no longer your son. Jesus became sin for us. That's what the Bible says. He became sin for you. He became your sins. So that in that punishment, God could be just by punishing him And then saying to Satan, justice has been met. Now I can declare you and me righteous. When we believe what God has done for us through His Son, Jesus Christ, that's all it takes. And God says, because you believe in me, because you trust me, I will take His perfect life and cover all the shame, all the regrets from yours. So this beautiful experience of Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Jesus is um, placing those seed thoughts. He's concentrated everything we've talked about into just one sentence. And that is the beauty and the wisdom of how Jesus loved to teach. He, he would teach things that would make us think, that would make us say, Wow, I would have never thought about it that way. It seems counterintuitive, but when you look at the rest of Scripture, it makes such beautiful sense. that God did not think it below Himself to take the form of humanity with the, the brokenness of, of our human nature, the, the, our physical deterioration, he didn't mind. It's like we would look at, uh, there's a program on television that we used to watch, and uh, it was called Dirty Jobs. And it was a gentleman that would go around doing precisely that, dirty jobs. And even, I don't know if, you, if you've seen an episode where he's cleaning out a, at a pig farm. the the excrement and the urine from the pigs. And you have to go to a pig farm to experience that. I did that when I was in Nebraska, Broken Bow, Nebraska. My dear friend Diane had invited me to speak at their church. And uh, they told me that I was one of the industries. And when her dad came home, he was embarrassed. He didn't know that I was home. Otherwise he would have taken his clothes off long before entering the house. Because before I heard him or saw him, I smelled him. It was a strong, pungent, penetrating smell. Now imagine, you just take a bath. You come out shiny, clean, smelling, you know, like those aromatherapy shampoos and soaps. And you take those soiled clothes, soiled to the very depths of the fibers with all of that element that... Smells and it's full of decay and disease that you shouldn't even allow into your mucous membranes. You know you shouldn't even you should have your mouth closed out at all times, and you take those clothes and put them on willingly. Those are very poor and limited examples of what God was willing to do so that you could be innocent, so that He could tell the accuser, no, she is. Pure. She is holy. There are no mistakes. There are no regrets. That is the beauty. And that's what makes us happy. It makes us happy because, number one, the Gospel leads us to be honest with ourselves, to be finally be frank with ourselves. Without spirituality, without Jesus, we're just not happy. And, what, who is this Jesus? Is the journey of the path to happiness. How do we experience Him and what He's done for us in our lives? And through recognizing our spiritual poverty, we open up ourselves to saying, Yes, Lord, I want that kingdom of righteousness, that kingdom of justice, that kingdom that through Your Son I can experience what I will never be able to achieve on my own. I mean, let alone can I start from now living a good life, but what do I do with all the mistakes that I've done already? What do I do with all the things that I wish I had never done? That's, um, that's the, the, the effect and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through the cross, through His death, that can be wiped away, cleansed, not just from memory and not just from our feelings, but from our very experience. What the gospel promises to do is to transform us from the inside out, to change our bent to pride and selfishness, to selflessness, to humility, to love. So no wonder, Jesus says, this is what makes us truly happy, truly full of joy. Well, I hope that this series will enrich you, and I'm happy that I'm able to do these in the fresh air, basking in the love of God. May that love bring happiness to your heart today. It is my prayer. God bless.